official show on the Fist Stripes podcast. I'm Eli Sussman, along with Hector Rodriguez. This episode presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. Uh, You know what we do on this pod, Miami Marlins coverage. Miami, usually. But today, there will be a splash of Florida Marlins in the conversation, too, because our amazing guest is the World Series champion, the two-time MLB All-Star, the four-time Gold Glove Award winner. He's one of the most important players in the history of the franchise, Charles Johnson. We appreciate you, CJ. Thank you for joining us. Hey, I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) And there's a whole lot going on. As I said, right before we started recording, really fascinated to find out what you're doing with this collegiate summer league, this wood bat league up in Fort Pierce that gets started in less than a couple months. Uh, But while we have you on, a lot of topics we wanted to get to, um, to just hear your thoughts on the current state of the Marlins, the current state of baseball in general. And uh, I mean, we'll just start with the 2021 Marlins team. I mean, as we're recording this, they just finished off another win. Uh, I know you were following the team closely last year when uh, they made that surprise run into the playoffs. Uh, How much do you get to watch the team this year and what like individual players really stick out to you? Well, you know, I I watched the team uh, this year uh, periodically uh, because of the COVID uh, with with me being the ambassador of the Marlins. um, Some of my duties going to the field have definitely limited. So I haven't really been going to the field and really been paying attention um, completely um, what's going on um, with the Marlins, but I'm always enjoy watching the Marlins. I mean, they have some really good, great young talent and, you know, with Aguilar, I mean, he's doing his thing and, and I, I love the excitement and the energy of jazz and, and uh, I'm just, just, just really happy for him um, and the way he's been playing and what he's been doing. And, and, uh, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really excited, you know, with the Marlins, um, um, you know, with Alcantara and Lopez, those are two, two of my main guys I love to watch. Um, with me being a catcher, I know they're the workhorses. And so I know things are going to pull around um, for them as far as in the win column, because uh, it's a long season. But at the end of the day, I enjoy watching those guys. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Jazz, because at the moment, he might be emerging as the face of the team. He's already one of the best players on the team based on what we've seen, you know, this first full month of his rookie season, but definitely someone that kind of transcends Miami, right? Like we're seeing all around baseball, people take notice of what he's doing. And I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've known him going back a little while. Um, I know for sure when they had that home run derby in paradise out in the Bahamas, the last time that they were able to do that January, 2020, that was right before jazz got to debut in the majors, but he was in the organization. And I mean, from what I saw, you were over there as, you know, part of this MLB play ball initiative. Uh, Did, when did you actually meet jazz in the first place? And um, yeah, like what, obviously your thoughts on how amazing and exciting he's been so far this season. Well, I definitely know Jazz um, as far as home run derby, um, the Don't Blink um, slash uh, Charles Johnson home run derby, which I, I enjoy being a part of over the last three or four years, just really seeing some of those young guys in the Bahamas and throughout, throughout the Caribbean and really start making them emerge into the, um, into the uh, game of baseball. And, and I have some close ties. My wife's uh, family is from the Bahamas, so her entire family's from there. So I used to make trips over there all the time um, in the Bahamas. And I used to pass out the Charles Johnson catching award for many years over in the Bahamas. Um, and so I definitely got some ties there. And so for me to be able to 
see Jazz and see him um, do his thing, uh, it, it's just really exciting. Because I know I know Bahamas are excited about him. And I get a lot of texts from the Bahamas about how well he's doing. And what I like about Jazz, too, is that he's bringing something to the game. I think the game has definitely been missing. And that is base, base stealing. Um, because when I came in the league, um, there were a lot of base stealers. I came in the league with Ricky Henderson and guys like Deion Sanders, um, and, uh, Vince Coleman. Those guys were – they changed the game of baseball as far as uh, stealing bases. And, and the game was really exciting. And so for me to see Jazz doing his thing, um, making the game really exciting and, and stealing bases and, you know, hitting home runs and, and now he has that, that blue hair thing he has going on. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he just enjoyed to watch. Yeah, as you were saying, I mean, seven for seven stolen bases and uh, hasn't been caught yet by anybody right up there with the league <laughs> leaders. I mean, it's impressive, but yeah. I mean, a lot of that is because uh, teams are worried about guys getting thrown out on the bases and uh, they value those outs so much, right? They don't want to give anything away. So one of the few guys that get that green light are the ones like Jazz that are successful every single yes. time. Yes, he definitely should get that green light. I mean, um, um, he definitely changed the game when he on the base path. And that's what I, that's what I, I loved about um, the game of baseball when I came in the league. It was all about um, um, stealing bases. Bunning guys over, getting guys over, um, uh, really playing the game as far as sacrifice flies. And it was all the stuff going on, whereas in the National League, it was all about execution. And so I, um, I really enjoy to see that the excitement that he brings to the game. Uh, when it comes to looking at baseball today and some of the other changes that are coming, uh, we're recording this just a few days before the minor league season gets started. And for the first time in minor league regular season games, at least at the low A level, they're going to have this automated strike zone, automatic balls and strikes from, you know, from programming it in advance and uh, taking the human error out of the situation behind the plate. Um, still could be a little while off before we see that in the majors, but for right now we have actual, you know, future major leaguers that are going to be learning their game with that automated strike zone. And especially obviously catchers where this is at least, uh, from the best that we could tell at the major league level, you know, the best guys at framing pitches, at presenting pitches, that they can make a real impact for that part of their game. Um, and now that it's starting to work its way up pro baseball with potentially not having that element involved with it uh, or as a catcher and as someone that works hands-on with uh, developing catchers, uh, are, you, are you a fan? Are you not a fan of having it, this setup where things are, uh, all automatic and where that little slide of glove where that doesn't make a difference anymore. Um, as a hitter, I would be a fan because <laughs> I know I get some precise calls, but as a catcher, it definitely would take the, the fun out of it as far as me as a catcher being behind the plate and framing balls and, and, um, and really saving pitches for pitchers. Uh, it keeps me focused uh, all the time. Whereas that I'm aware of what I'm doing as far as helping the pitcher out. And so um, if that comes into play, I think you're going to have a whole bunch of catchers that's pretty much just going to be just there catching the ball and rather than, I think, working hard to save pitches um, uh, for pitchers. Do you really feel it behind the plate in, in certain games where you feel like um, that's made a, a difference between wins and losses when you've had certain games, depending on the ump or depending on the pitcher that you're working with, where you feel like those borderline calls actually change the outcome and that, uh, that part is coming out of the game too. 
it definitely changed the outcome. And for me, what it does is that it, it gives the pitcher momentum. I mean, you know, you, he can be ball one, ball two, and all of a sudden I, I frame a nice one on the corner, and now you two one, and, and all of a sudden now he's two two, and now he's back in the he's back in the in the game again. As far as he found something different, he's feeling something, and so a catcher is so tremendous behind home plate because the way his his energy behind the plate, what he brings to the team, um, the way he frames balls behind home plate, his leadership role behind home plate. So to me, the catcher brings a lot to the game of baseball that one of the reasons why I decided to catch. I mean, I was a left fielder when I started catching in Little League and I decided to catch because I was bored. I, in, in Little League, you're not, you don't get much action out in the outfield. And so <laughs> I decided I wanted to catch it. And I told my coach Jimbo that I wanted to get behind the plate and, and that's when I started catching. I came home and told my dad I wanted to be a catcher. And, um, and that's where I started, you know, back when I was nine years old, because I was bored in outfield. I can relate to that so well, man, <laughs> uh, because I started playing Little League almost about the same age, and they stuck me in the outfield. Not be, I mean, the message that sends is that when you're that young, nobody's hitting it to the outfield, so they put you there when you're not very good. Exactly. And uh, from there, I didn't follow the same path as you. You know, I stayed in the outfield until, until I retired from the game. But, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> about those games and uh, how you definitely do lose focus out there. You accomplish other things, you know, looking at the grass and just chewing gum. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, I could definitely relate to that for sure. One other thing that happened very recently here in baseball, I'm sure you heard about it, is Madison Bumgarner pitching a no-hitter, uh, only a seven-inning no-hitter. And, uh, and there's been a big controversy about Major League Baseball not officially recognizing it as a no-no because it was only a seven-inning doubleheader <laughs> game instead of a full nine innings. And we thought you'd be the perfect guy to talk to us about because you caught one, two, three. You got three right. no-hitters with the Marlins. Uh, I could be, you could correct me if I'm forgetting ones with your other teams, if it's actually more than three, is, is that it? Nope, or were it's there it's three. It's three. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Right. And those were all back in the old days when you played nine innings for every game. So those were all full <laughs> right. nine inning, no hitters. Um, as, as a catcher, I mean, if you were in that situation, well, as they were a few days ago where it's a seven inning game, but you guys do everything, everything great. You pitch a no, no, you don't allow every single hit. Do you think that would feel the same as going a full nine, you think that that kind of achievement should be counted the same way as a full nine innings. You play an official ball game, you play seven innings and it's official. And so it's in the books. And so I can understand the other side of it, whereas that nine innings is a true game. And the nine innings is totally different because anything can happen within two innings. I mean, anything can happen. Whereas that, I mean, you know, guys can hit plenty home runs in two innings, but I truly believe that if it's official, then I believe a no-hitter should be counted in the books. Yes. Well, while we're on that subject, um, we had one of our readers reach out when they knew you were coming on. They wanted to ask you about the no-hitters, the three for people that aren't familiar, Al Leiter, Kevin Brown, A.J. Burnett, uh, all three of them a little bit different or a lot different with how you actually got the job done. Uh, Out of those three, was there one day – uh, of those three, that sticks out as the one where the guy was the most dominant, where you felt really confident all the way, like from start to finish, that they could actually throw a no-no. Does one of them stick out as what was, like, I guess, the most impressive game that you ever caught, the one where that guy really had it locked in and didn't need much help at all from the rest of the team? I think the, the one that's probably most impressive the most was Kevin Brown, no-hitter, in 
San Francisco. He basically threw a perfect game. Um, in the ninth inning, he hit a batter. And that's basically killed this perfect game. But when that game started, I almost felt something was incredible would happen that day. Because when he left out of the bullpen, it just felt so good. I mean, he had a tilt on his sinker, was like crazy. And so in San Francisco, um, you always got this little swirling wind that goes on there, an old candlestick, right? And so you got all this swirling wind. You got a guy throwing a sinker, like, like huge tilt on it. And when the game started, I'm looking at his ball, and it was looking like a Frisbee. And I'm saying to myself, I don't think nobody's going to hit this guy today. But at the end of the day, as a catcher, you're not going to say anything. But I felt something was going to be weird that day. And, and sure enough, he almost did a perfect game. And, and uh, I think that was probably the most dominant game. But I would say probably A.J. Burnett was probably one of the most wildest games, no hitters I've ever caught. <laughs> because I have never seen anybody throw almost 128 pitches. And probably – don't quote me, but I think about 123 were fastballs. So he threw like 123 fastballs and threw a no-hitter. <laughs> so he walked like nine guys. We turned two double plays. And it was so much going on during the game, whereas it didn't feel like he was throwing a no-hitter because there were so many guys on base that it didn't feel like a no-hitter. But at the end of the day, he threw a no-hitter. And I, that was a wild, wild game. Yeah, well, that was when he was – right at the start of his career, AJ. And uh, as things, as years went on, as he yes. left the Marlins, yes. as things went on, he developed this really nasty curveball. And uh, I mean, that would be his put away pitch, like from like the best years of his career. Uh, but yeah, that was a different phase of his career. It's kind of crazy where he was at that stage where he was still kind of developing and like finding his footing. And uh, that was when he threw the no hitter, but actually probably later in his yeah. career, he became that more complete pitcher. And, and, that's, yes, yeah, and he yeah. really was more valuable to the team, you know, one start but after he, the start. But he's always had a great curveball. I mean, I mean, his curveball would explode out of his hand, even like his fastball. I mean, I probably didn't catch very few guys like AJ, where is that the ball gets up on you so fast that it just comes out of his hand like, like, a, like a bullet. And it just gets on you really fast. But his curveball was 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 just – I mean, left-handed hitters couldn't hit his curveball at times because he was just that good. One more thing on this subject when it comes to pitching and uh, what actually works and what, what, what actually leads to these kind of no-hitter situations is I think this is a question that people still kind of wrestle with today. You know, baseball has been around 150 years or more, but people still, still try to figure out with pitching, whether it's more important to have great stuff or to have great commands. And I, I guess on some days you have both of them uh, on other days uh, you may only have one and still have a lot of success. Um, including I guess with, with AJ and that performance where all the walks that were piling up in that game and yet still able to have success because of the, the quality of his fastball. Uh, but what, which piece of that equation do you think is more important for a pitcher to actually be consistent and successful? Is it the command of their pitches or is it uh, the quality of their stuff? I'm going to say the command of their pitches. Um, most guys, when they come to the league, they come in the league with great stuff. In order to stay in the league, you have to learn how to pitch. And so uh, when guys start to learn you, they start to figure out a little bit, you have to learn how to pitch. And, and so when I came to the league, you had guys like, say, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, you know, being in the same division, we played them a lot. And so 
they didn't throw very hard. They threw low 90s, that kind of stuff. But they knew how to pitch. And so I think if guys come in the league and they learn how to pitch early, no question about it. And you have great stuff. I mean, I mean, just just lights out. I mean, one of the young guys I know when I first started catching, I, I felt that he kind of had that a little bit was um, was Josh Beckett. He was that guy where that he had he had great stuff, but he had a he had somewhat of an idea how to pitch when he first came in the league. And when I first started catching, he had an idea about what he wanted to do with great stuff. And you rarely see that because usually a guy with great stuff, they just want to throw and throw and and guys, but he had a good Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your team win. Could be short-term flipping. It could be a long-term investment in this Marlins team to finally turn their corner on the rebuild. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to give you that new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. Use your sports knowledge to earn these cash payouts when the teams win. Join 2,000-plus early adopters who are already using this platform. Create a free account at www.simbull.app, symbol.app, and use our promo code, FISHSTRIPES. It gives you a $10 deposit bonus. Visit symbol.app, promo code, FISHSTRIPES, all one word for your $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know. Invest in sports. Right. We're talking, of course, with Charles Johnson here, the former Marlins great, uh, just a great baseball man through and through. And the real reason why uh, we wanted to talk to him right now on this pod, among many other things, is, of course, about this Summer Collegiate Baseball League that he has lended his name to, the Charles Johnson Collegiate Summer League, gets started in less than two months. That's kind of why Hector is actually on here with me. So he had a lot of questions about uh, exactly <laughs> what you're doing with the league and um, how it I guess we'll just start with the general stuff before I hand it over to Hector. Um, how did this come about in the first place? Because I know you've, uh, I guess for years now, you've shown this interest in coaching up young players and making yes, them sir. better and uh, just giving back to the game. How did this particular league come about? It came about through, um, um, you know, a good friend of mine, Mar- Mario Cirelli. I mean, I've known Mario since way back in my early days of being with the Marlins, and uh, we've been um, 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 friends you know, ever since. And he approached me about this, this league in Fort Pierce. And it was very intriguing to me because me born and raised in Fort Pierce and my family and my sister, brother, mom, dad, all still live there. All my family is there. And, and um, he brought me and said, Hey, I, we, we can, you know, definitely create a league there. And, and I said, you know what, I can definitely put my name on because I know definitely Mario does a great job as far as forming leagues like this. And, and I'm very excited about it because I truly believe it's, so really bring a lot of young players together. Um, definitely, um, so be some great baseball. But at the same time, I mean, they're going to learn life skills, and 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 I, I truly believe that it's going to be, um, um, you know, a great thing for these young kids. So Charles, um, so what is your plan really with these kids? So I imagine you, um, summer collegiate ball was around when you were at UM, correct? Yes, it is. Um, so what, so first just talk about how your experiences were, um, were you able to experience Cape Cod while you're at Miami or, you know, what type of league did you play in during your time at the U? Um, my summer leagues at the U were spent mostly, uh, playing in the Pan American games and, and really playing in Olympics. So I didn't do like the Cape Cod league and everything else because 
just fortunately enough that my years were coming up toward the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona at the time. And that was a dream team year and they had a dream team there. And, and so my years was coming up to that. So I spent a lot of time trying to make that team. And so that's, that, that was my summer years. All right. Um, so, I mean, just how, how was that experience? Just talk about that. I mean, that's, that's gotta be a pretty cool experience. I played college ball, but I wasn't good enough to get to try out for the USA national team. I mean, it was um, a experience. I, I've, I've always been part of the USA experience. Um, even in high school, I played on the junior Olympic team in Australia and won a gold medal in Melbourne against the Cuban team when I was in high school. And so um, that kind of led me to really take a shot at the Olympics. And I did my whole Olympic trial and everything. And, and I ended up making the team and um, played in the Pan American Games in Cuba. Really enjoyed that experience. I uh, played in uh, Havana, played in Santiago, Cuba. Had a chance to, um, um, uh, like I say, make the Olympic team and and just being able to wear USA across your chest and and walk into a stadium. And at the time, you have you come into the stadium in alphabetical order. You have um, uh, baseball, you know, basketball, and so at the time. Baseball and basketball came out together. And so we walking out with a dream team. So I got, you know, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Larry Bird walking out on in the stadium with USA across our chest. We wearing our hats. And, and so it was a wonderful experience for me. Did you ever get a chance to talk to anybody on the dream team while you were there? Um, I talked to Charles Barkley because Barkley would come to the village a lot. And he would hang around in the village. village and I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. But... I never, I never had a chance to talk to them because they, they stayed away from the village. So they didn't stay with us in the village. And um, periodically, a guy or two would come over. But, I mean, they were so big uh, at that point, I, I don't think nobody could get to them at that time. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so I can't imagine how exciting that was. But I want to talk about, your, you know, the league that you're a part of, you know. But so, I mean, how many teams, what's the plan there? Are you going to start this upcoming summer? And how many teams and how many games do you plan on playing this season? I mean, it's going to be like six teams. I mean, uh, we're looking at playing uh, pretty much um, uh, throughout the summer, um, pretty much uh, like 32 games in the area uh, from like uh, the end of June, June 25th through August 6th. And I think it's going to be a great experience. Uh, we're going to have seminars um, uh, for these young kids. Uh, we're going to have specialized training when you're going to have guys like Alex Arias, which is a, a former teammate of mine with the Marlins, he's going to be there uh, working on hitting with the young guys. You're going to have uh, Pupo Afaseka, Tony Afaseka is going to be there working with the pitchers. And so uh, we're looking to bring on some more guys. But our main thing is really teaching them and, 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 and really develop these kids. So it's all about development, but at the same time, um, give them life skills. And, and, and that's really what our focus is going to be on. And and also, too, at the end, we're looking at having um, a pro day where we're hoping to bring in some scouts, um, have an opportunity for these kids to uh, play in a game at the end, also a game some, somewhat of, and, and really um, uh, recognize some of the really good kids there and hopefully give them opportunity to move on as far as bringing some scouts out and bringing some other folks out to see them play. Yeah, CJ, I'd, I'd seen that detail about your teammates, about Alfonseca and Arias being involved in this. Did you have to, like, recruit them? Like, what was that process like? Were they, like, all ready to get back into coaching, or did you have to do a little convincing? Um, how did that all play <laughs> out to get them to commit to do this? Because that's a really – it's a great opportunity for the kids. Great opportunity. I know Mario reached out to, to, to both of them as far as uh, really trying to come on board, and I spoke to him about it. 
um, about coming on board. And um, both of them are already doing things at this point now. I mean, I know Apaseka is coaching in some leagues, and I know Alex is always around the game of baseball, and both of them are very good teachers. They understand the game, and, and um, you know, they have a very good mindset about the game. And, and so I'm very excited for them to come on board and be there at Fort Pierce and, and play at, um, you know, at the Long, at Longwood Complex um, where I played my high school ball at. Um, yeah. what, is this league available to just any type of college player, like from the Division One level all the way down to the junior college ranks? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, um, you know, you're 18 to 23. And so, you know, it might be some some kids that's pretty much, um, you know, at the end of their high school career that definitely can participate in this league. And um, so, yes, no question about it. I'm, I'm hoping for it to be a very competitive league. Um, uh, we're really doing a good job as far as trying to, get the information out there. Whereas that to bring in some really good kids. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure because in the area, I've been hearing a lot of what's going on and I think it's going to be a competitive league, but at the end of the day, it's for me, it's all about developing these kids and, and giving them life skills. So I'm definitely going to have my own personal catching um, seminar and clinic, um, working with some young kids that want to be catchers and, and uh, we're going to have a seminar and, and bring other folks in to really talk to these young kids because we got to keep them busy got to keep them educated and keep their mind going because they're going to be there for some weeks. So, so yes, it's, it's going to be a lot more things we're going to add to it along the way. Yeah. Well, as we're talking right now, it seems, you know, fingers crossed, we could see the light at the end of this tunnel when it comes to COVID-19 and the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately last summer, I think just about every summer league had to, you know, shut it down for the summer just uh, because we didn't know what we were dealing with. We didn't know how to keep people safe. Uh, hopefully a couple months away from now, you know, almost everybody gets an opportunity to get vaccinated and things go pretty easily, but are there any special, you know, precautions that the league has to set up, you know, to make sure that everybody stays safe and, and, uh, that there's no shutdowns. Cause we've even seen, we've seen it, uh, even in major league baseball this year where some teams have their own many outbreaks and it causes inconveniences. So are there any special steps that you guys had to implement to, to make sure that, uh, you know, that the parents feel safe sending their kids over there and to make sure that, you know, you get all the games and that you want to. Well, we definitely going to, you know, have our, um, you know, um, as far as our kids being careful, I mean, we're definitely going to have our mask wearing and, and hopefully by, by the time we get to that point, maybe we have some kids um, uh, getting vaccinated because I know my kids now are, are, are the age of 2021 and, and they play football. So I'm definitely looking for them to get vaccinated. So hopefully, uh, when we get to that point, maybe some kids are already vaccinated, but at the same time, we're going to take steps to really take care of these young kids and make sure that they're mask wearing, you know, to keep their distance and, and, and really look out for them. Well, just uh, make sure we're up to speed on how exactly to apply to this and how can people make sure that they get all the info that they want about this league and, uh, you know, reserve their spots while you still have some few spots available. Well, I, um, you know, they definitely need to go to cbottournaments.com, um, and that's where they really can get on the website and really find out more information and, and where the kids can sign up and, and um, sign waivers and everything else. And I, I think, um, um, like I said, I think it's going to be an exciting league. It's our first time doing it. Um, so there are definitely going to be some glitches we got to definitely iron out. But at the end of the day, I think that it's going to be a competitive league, and, and, um, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm definitely waiting for it. Awesome. Awesome. Anything else, Hector, that you wanted to get from CJ about the league or any of that? Um, no, not really. I'm pretty good here. Just, you know, good luck with your inaugural season and 
you know, we, Eli and I, and everybody at Fish Stripes, you know, wish you the best of luck during your first season. Well, I'll tell you what, Fish Stripes, I'm definitely going to be following you guys. There we go. Perfect. You can find <laughs> us everywhere, man. You can find us on, on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube, on fishstripes.com. Our listeners know that, and we appreciate everybody for subscribing. We appreciate the people that send in the questions for CJ. And yes. I, I mean, as I was telling you before, before we started recording, you are you're a star to these people even now uh, among marlins fans they still appreciate everything you did uh, we have these special ceremonies every spring where we we honor our own marlins hall of famers for guys that had a unique contribution to the franchise and, and you're the first catcher that got in as, as really? part of that marlins hall of fame wow. yeah wow, wow, wow. people know that you were here a while that you were great for a while and that you were you know most importantly a champion so i just hope you know that that everybody that your legacy still lives on and i honestly it's like a fine wine i think as we get further away people <laughs> even appreciate it more i tell you what i really appreciate that i um i've always enjoyed my my time here um i had a chance to come here to the university of miami and i think i gained a lot of fans there because at that time there was no florida Marlins, and so miami baseball was baseball here in south florida and um, i think i really gained a lot of fans from playing there. And so for me to have opportunity to be drafted by the Marlins and, 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 and play a pro player when it, you know, when it first got going in, in 94, when I first came up, um, it was such a surreal experience because I never thought that I would be a, a Florida Marlin and let alone win a championship in 97 with the Florida Marlins in my third year in the league. And so um, I, I, I've, I really appreciate all my fans that have followed me all the years. Um, I've always felt the love and appreciation for it. Um, every time I see people out there, they mention, oh, yeah, Charlie Johnson, you played in the 97 World Series. Or Charlie Johnson, I remember from University of Miami. And so I definitely made home here in, um, here in, um, in South Florida. And um, I pretty much, I will live nowhere else. I enjoy this place. And the last thing before we get you out here, I remember, of course, with the 25th anniversary celebration a couple of years ago, you were big involved in that. And I know you continue to, be all over the place as an ambassador with the team. Uh, what when's, when was the last time though that you were able to actually attend a game in the ballpark with, with the Marlins? Uh, we know that last year was kind of off limits. Uh, when, when's the next time you think that you're going to be able to make it out there for a game and and finally uh, get to reunite with all everybody once it's safe to do so? <laughs> I tell you, I hope. Um, uh, I, well, definitely, I went out for opening day. Um, I was there for opening day. Um, oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, such a great time. Yeah, it was different with the little social distance with the mask on, but at the same time, it was just good to feel that opening day feeling. Um, just knowing how that feels in opening day, all the butterflies and the just the nervousness of it's a new season, not knowing what's going to happen. Your, your your average is 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 zero, and so everybody is hitting a thousand, and so you you just don't know what's going to happen on opening day, and and I know what that feels like, and so I was so excited just to be there. And I'm hoping to get out to some games pretty soon. Like I say, uh, with me being the ambassador, some of my roles got cut back because of the COVID. And um, a lot will pick up more in the summer from what I'm told. And so I can't wait for it. Yeah, man. Uh, if the team continues playing really solid ball, uh, yeah. there's going to be that demand for it. There's going to be all these fans up and about, and they're excited. And, yeah, they're dreaming. They're dreaming of a team that plays – like the 97 team or the 2003 team. And uh, yeah, they could start smelling it a little bit with uh, the way that some of the stars have emerged so far early yeah. on this season, but uh, Charles Johnson, the Marlins great. We appreciate you joining us here on the pod, Eli Sussman with uh, Hector Rodriguez 
And guys, uh, if you if you have anybody of the right age to get involved in this Wood Bat League, the Charles Johnson Collegiate Summer League up in Fort Pierce, first games get started in uh, late June. Make sure you're registering right now. We're going to put all the information. We're going to make it easy. We're going to put the info right okay. up there on our website so that people could just click straight to it and get all the details and uh, just see what a fun time and what an important time this is going to potentially be for you know young players that are trying to take that next step in their development. So thank you, CJ. Uh, we appreciate you, and we hope to have you back in the future. Yes. All right. Eli, Hector, thank you, guys. I appreciate you.